Peeps in a podcast. It's uh, great to be back on the regular show where it all started with Rich. Rich, how are you? I'm very well, Patrick. Very Long time for- no listen. Very formal again, as usual. Uh, Rich, we, we've th- we started the last few regular shows with you talking about getting a garden room and then talking some more about getting a garden room, never actually doing anything about it, basically waiting for someone to offer you one for nothing, I think, was, we, well, yeah. your, ang- well, was your angle. But never that never came about. But uh, you're in the garden room now. What happened? I'm in. It's been done. It's been built. I mean, there was delays due to Canadian forest fires a couple of years ago. That was the excuse the right. man gave me, the shortage of materials and things like that. It actually took quicker to build than it took the electrician just to hook me up with electric. <laughs> yeah, um, we just he disappeared for a weekend away at Willacombe. Then he come back with COVID. Apparently, I just think right. I just think he wanted an extra day off. Okay, but no, I'm in now. I'm in. I'm. Is the acoustics good? Can you? I must say the acoustics is better than it's ever been with you because you sort of move around your house. You used to sit in the car, didn't you, for a while just to get some peace and quiet. Yeah. Well, at least you know, you now know there'll be no children coming in. There'll be no tap dancing dogs. It's going to be almost perfect. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised as it's school holidays if I see one of your daughters dancing in the background just to annoy us. Well, no, one's in Hereford camping with her friends and one's downtown with mother. Ah, fair play. So, okay. Uh, some, some real peace and quiet. I'm home alone. Excellent. Excellent. Um, so congratulations on, on the garden room. And have you managed to catch any of the Olympics? I watched a bit late last night, actually sky Brown. Okay. Cause um, it's funny. Cause that is obviously my surname Brown and the name of my dog is sky. So was it your dog in the Olympics? Might be cheating on four legs. I've oh, seen I... some highlights. I'm, I can't say I've been stuck to it, but yeah. I mean, I've, I usually watch the Olympics, you know, um, religiously, but it's just been, the time's been all wrong. I was away last week down in Torquay, the English Riviera, so uh, obviously not not able to get much watching going on there. But uh, I, I've managed to catch the, the daily summaries, which I think have been good on BBC iPlayer, and it really just makes you, um, you know, catch up with 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 the goings on so it's been useful to do that and and god god bless on demand tv rich well if i can tell you the real reason i have been tuning in more often is having the garden room i've now moved the old tv out the front room to here mm. and i bought myself a spanking new 4hd blah 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 tv so excellent like, like you do when you get a new toy you just and you've got your indulge. apple tv all hooked up to that you're ready yep. to go Bought a new Apple TV, the 4K version. So, absolutely fantastic. Well, brilliant. Um, glad to hear everything's going well for you, Rich. Uh, we have obviously this is three peeps in a podcast. Um, and for those who haven't listened before, the the show's got three legs, if you like. We've got the regular show, which we're on now, which is anything goes, any guess, any topic. Uh, we've got the bonus show, which is a Bristol City post-match reaction show, which will be kicking off again over the weekend. Um, and Robin's reunited. And tonight I've got uh, Lee Peacock and Lee Matthews on. So um, I'll be I'll be looking forward to, to that. But uh, do check those out. So uh, today's guest is someone who's got uh, 30 years experience, actually, Rich, um, as a sports journalist and communications manager. And it's someone who I met uh, recently um, through their work with Bristol City, and we'll come on to that later. But I just want to welcome Dave Barton to the chat. How are you, Dave? Very well. Thank you, Patch. Thank you, Rich, for having me. 
after Absolutely. India. Our pleasure. I, yeah, I have, I have been watching the Olympics, by the way. Oh yeah, so uh, you've you've managed to do um, watch it on demand, or are you are you getting up early to watch it? No, no, t- certainly it's the uh, the nighttime day at the games. So uh, yeah, I yeah. was very impressed with the uh, the skateboarding and the gymnastics. That's just that's just crazy. Yeah, um, there's so much going on there. It's it's the different, it's the the plethora of sports um, and the, the amount of effort. It's 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 their lives, isn't it? You know. Um, and the the hurdles win yesterday was described oh, yeah. by did, Michael Johnson as the biggest achievement ever. Did you see the guy rip his shirt? That was yeah, yeah. I mean. Superman. <laughs> yeah. Going. yeah, no, it's it's fantastic, and I've I've still got lots to catch up on. But um, yeah, no, it's always great to see see the Olympics. But um, we'll come we'll come on to uh, your current role. Um, but just want to get to know a bit more about yourself. Um, okay, <laughs> so I was born in Warrington, which back in 1969 was part of Lancashire. Uh, sadly, now part of Cheshire, but I do consider myself a, a Lancastrian. Um, grew up in Rochdale, so probably about two miles from Scotland. Um, yeah, so my kind of early days were were in Rochdale, um, and then um, I, I suppose somehow ended up at university. <laughs> <laughs> So it was Lancaster um, University. Um, uh, and what did you What did you study there? Is yeah, well, well, actually, um, bizarrely, in my early days, um, as, as a youngster, I wanted to be a Catholic priest. Um, oh wow! So from the age of eleven to eighteen, um, I actually went to a uh, a boarding school um, with the intention of of going into the church, really. Um, so that was a kind of some of my school days, really, between a, an eleven and eighteen, um, and I can think I you know, decided that uh, actually, if if I was to to have a, a vocation to uh, the priesthood, that uh, it would probably survive three years of university life, right. <laughs> um, and actually, then uh, uh, you know, I was set on a on a different path, really. Um, mm. Did a three-year degree at Lancaster in, in English, um, and then a postgraduate in newspaper journalism at uh, what was then, I think, Lancashire Polytechnic became University of Central Lancashire. Um, wow. And so, then, so where did yeah. the passion come from for for journalism? Was it something that you were always interested in growing up, growing up, and up to that point? Is it something that you? Yeah, I mean, I was always fascinated by you know reading and writing, um, and that was. You know what was um, you know my big interest at school really um, was reading, and I worked in the printing press at school. Um, and then when I got to university to study English, um, worked on the university newspaper. Um, so really, it was yeah. I suppose from there, um, I was passionate about sport as well. Um, I was an only child, so my dad you know, was very lucky in that my dad took me to lots of sporting events when when I was a kid. Um I remember going to Old Trafford and Headingley in eighty one for the you know the the Botham and the, the Bob Willis matches, you know, those really historic test matches. I've got a now whether this is kind of was wishful thinking, but I've got I've also got a recollection that actually he took me to Twickenham in eighty two for the game against Australia when Erica Rowe made that infamous oh, yeah. <laughs> 
entry onto the onto the pitch. Um, so in that regard, I was you know it was very lucky that my dad took me to some which I think are now iconic sporting events. Um, so I suppose that coupled with you know a passion for for words really drove me into journalism and then subsequently into sports journalism. Yeah, before we go down the road of sports journalism, yourself, uh, was there an interest in a particular sport for you? Um, no, I mean, I, I always played football as a kid um, and then cricket as well at school. Um, I wasn't wasn't much good, but I was, you know, certainly anybody who plays against me now would, would testify to that. Um, certainly haven't haven't gained it, never lost it really. Um, so yeah, um, yeah. I suppose football and um, you know, I played a bit of rugby when I was a when I was a kid for uh, for the Rochdale youth teams. Um, yeah, but kind of mixed really. I was just kind of I used to watch. Do you remember Superstars? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, classic. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh yeah, classic TV. Daily Thompson. Was it Brian Jacks? Yeah, the, on the order. Yeah, the judo and the dip, the um, yeah, who was the oh the shot putter? Jeff Capes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kevin Keegan. Kevin off his Keegan. Bike. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I used to love, absolutely love superstars. So. Brilliant. Uh, okay, so uh, um. On your LinkedIn, looking at your your career history, your first role was as a sports and news reporter in uh, at Salford City. Um, so tell us a little bit about uh, that role that you had. And that was your first role. How did that come about? Um, and you know, did you get a, a good guide from someone there and, and set you on your way? Yeah. So uh, after so I did my postgraduate um, in ninety. 90- 1990 to 91 at, at Preston, as I said, and then I managed to get a, a job on a, a weekly newspaper, which is that was the Salford Report, City Reporter and Advertiser. Mm. Um, and I suppose back then, when weekly free newspapers were real, kind of really big, lots of advertising, lots of news, uh, lots of sport. So actually, you know, like a proper paper, um, which had us, I think we had a circulation of about 100,000 throughout the Salford and, you know, East Manchester area. Mm. Um, and it was great. I mean, Salford then, you know, it, there, was, there wasn't the Salford Keys media city as as we see now, where they're, where they're doing the Olympics from. Um, Salford then and Salford Keys was a real derelict wasteland. And, um, you know, as a, for a young news reporter, in that environment of Salford, what a what a great city and the people, um, sense of community is brilliant. So, from a news point of view, um, it was absolutely outstanding. So what I did, I did two days of the week on sport, lots of rugby league. So that was before Salford, uh, before you know, sorry, before Super League mm. really took off. So that's when all all rugby league matches were at three o'clock on a Sunday. Um, so I did two days a week covering um sport and then once a paper had you know been published i spent the rest of the week wednesday thursday friday covering news um and for it for a young reporter it was a it was a great learning experience i mean it was in the days before sound like a real old get now but it was in the days before computers so i had a massive typewriter and anybody who hears me type wow. ne- hears me t- anybody who hears me type now knows 
will know why because I actually just go through keyboards like nothing. <laughs> um, and it was one of those which had a you know the dinger when you did the the carriage at the top. Yeah. Um, so everything was typed and everything was done in triplicate using carbon paper. Um, and you used to hand it to the editor. And I had an editor called Maxine Wollstonehome, and she was my first editor. And uh, uh, I used to curse her at the time, but for every story for the first six months, she would hand it back to me and say, that's wrong, correct that. You need to substantiate that story. It's the wrong angle. Um, and myself and the other young journalists in the office used to roll our eyes and, you know, call her lots of you know, not very nice names. But actually, looking back, and certainly when I look at the standard of journalism these days with my rolly eyes, um, I'm very thankful for for those principles that Maxine, you know, instilled in us. Um, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a really good two years. Um, lots of stories. Um, you know, you, you go from covering rugby league to, you know, covering murders, covering... Mm. Um, you know, sad to say, you know, car crashes and and court cases and everything in in between, uh, golden weddings, etc. Um, so it was for a young reporter learning my trade. It was a, you know, it was a really good grounding. Yeah, and that's obviously a quite expanse there. Um, and just touching on something you said there, obviously them handing that back to you and saying, "No, do it again. You've you've done that bit wrong." Into in today's modern world, it's pretty much type it and press go more or less because it's it's straight out there isn't it it is and i you know we'll come on to to, to the rest of my time in journalism um but certainly yeah it's sad that nowadays journalists through no fault of their own but just through resourcing and, and the way things have developed actually as you say they type uh, they put their own headlines on it and um you know we're all human and we, all, we we all make errors and we all make spelling mistakes and we all you know uh, need need things checking um but yeah certainly in those days nothing went through uh, maxine without uh, um being uh, top draw really yeah and i think in 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 the modern world as well that you need to get the the story out there as quickly as possible versus the old the old world because there's so many different channels of communications now that your 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 newspaper if it hasn't gone out that day would potentially be out of date someone would people would already know yeah and, and you know if i got a story you know on a on a monday morning um unless one of the other big newspapers like the manchester evening news um or you know um look north as was then bbc channel uh, unless they got hold of it as well Literally, you could probably sit on that story for two days, three days until it went to press. It would come out on Thursday morning. It would be an exclusive. Now, yeah. if you said nowadays that something would hold in, as, a, as a technical term, um, I would not break for four days. People would laugh at you, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's not going to happen, is it? Um, so from there, you went on to the to uh, be a chief sports writer at Western Morning News in Plymouth. So from Saltford, you're heading down south to, to Plymouth. Yeah, and, and a very different different environment. Um, and the opportunity arose to be, you know, a sports writer to to focus purely on sport. Um, so November '93, um, I got the the gig in Plymouth. Uh, moved down. Much to um, uh, much to my fiance's 
um, despair um, because actually I was I was in Manchester and uh, my future wife Jenny was in London and um, what people what we perhaps didn't realise then was actually um, London to Plymouth is a is a dance art further than Plymouth than London to Manchester is so. Yeah. But anyway, so I moved to Plymouth um, and I spent, yeah, three years in Plymouth um, covering mainly rugby union. Uh, obviously, it's a, a, a mad rugby union area, um, Cornwall and Devon. Um, so it was mainly Plymouth Albion and Exeter Chiefs. Uh, well, actually, Exeter as then, um, when Exeter were really probably just coming to the fore. Uh, actually, Plymouth Albion was probably the more established club and Exeter were in the third, potentially fourth division back then. So they weren't the real force that they are now, but it was it was a great time. Um, you know, it was a bit of Argyle where when Shilton, Peter Shilton was in charge um, for, for a brief period. Uh, I think, I seem to recollect, they had a really good season under under Shilton with Nugent, et cetera, and played some fantastic football, scored some goals. Um, but yeah, it was a really good, really good three years. And it was just great to be on a, you know, a paid for paper, daily paper, which, you know, was, you'd work between probably midday and, and midnight, really. Um, and it was printed off um, for, for people who've been to uh, Plymouth up at Derryford. There was a spanking new building, a glass building, which was in the shape of a, of a ship, uh, it was a brand new facility, um, real state of the art. Um, so there was the Western Morning News and the Plymouth Herald. Um, so you had a really good, good time there. Um, loved living down in Plymouth. We lived in Totnes for a while, um, and then my wife got a job in in Exeter, um, and you know I started looking looking back up the M5 really. So you came, she came to join you eventually. Came down to join you from London. Yeah, <laughs> didn't go all the way to Plymouth, but <laughs> brilliant. A very, un- a very understanding uh, fiance and and then wife. We must we must put that in there. Oh yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, so after that, you seem to go from looking at your your CV here on on LinkedIn. It, it looks like you've gone. You you chose rugby as your route after that point. Was there any particular reason for that? Uh, well, I, I suppose I'd spent you know, the previous three and then subsequent to that the, the two years covering rugby league um covering rugby plymouth and and an extra um southwest was a real kind of rugby rugby heartland um and i'd you know had um we, we'd had some kind of i suppose i'd had some bit of success in terms of tapping into the, the the England situation with um and players shifting from you know Exeter and Plymouth up to Bath and Bristol and Gloucester so there was at the time certainly a a pathway for for players and it felt like actually the Western Daily Press was recognized as one of the foremost regional papers for covering covering rugby um so it felt like a good a good move to make um it was an opportunity to you know, to to write about you know rugby full time, um, and you know it was a great it was a great six years. Western Daily Press um, covered Bath, Bristol, Gloucester, 
every day pretty much really yeah so um you know rich going going back to 96 to 2002 obviously the evening post and the western daily press coming out of the same building i think more or less but there was always those two papers that were the local papers to buy well the evening post especially because you used to have the the one star the two star and the three star didn't you so you had the the morning then it'd be a, a breaking story that come out in the afternoon edition but yeah i remember that that big old building there on the roundabout which is yeah. no longer that well the buildings. I don't know. Is it, is it used now? I don't know. I, don't know. No, I think they the repurposed print. it, haven't they? And it's, I don't know if they knocked got... most of it down to convert it into student accommodation. I think. I think the actual offices are still there, but I think the big printing area, the kind of the the sweeping building that had the yeah. temp- temperature and the clock on it, I think that's gone. Yeah, it's probably printed down in Didcot somewhere now. I I, I, I don't know, but um... that was the paper to get for your sporting. No, every time anything happened, you have to. Your nice little write-up about the game, the, the fans column, the the, the, the you know, stars per player kind of thing. It was yeah. quite a. It was a real ri- yeah. It was a real rivalry because even though we were in the same building, um, we used to compete like mad. You know, I, I, me and Steve Hill used to write write on rugby for for the Post, and same for someone like say Simon Parkinson who was on the Western Daily Press and Andy Stockhausen who was on the Evening Post. You know, we would work twenty yards away from each other. But it was a real kind of real rivalry in terms of who would get the stories and who would get the scoops. Um, and and yeah, you know, we talked we touched on it earlier. That was in probably in the days when you know, or perhaps towards the end when regional newspapers and certainly those two newspapers were really strong mm. um, in terms of you know breaking stories and, and providing a real service for for the community. Any stories um, from, from the from that period of you know some big big characters in rugby? We've had Gareth Chilcott on the podcast a few years back, <laughs> Cooch. Um, and yeah, he's he's full of stories. He... Well, I, I owe Cooch, I owe Cooch big time because I used to ghost write his column for the Western Daily Press, um, and you know it, it, it was just a, a pleasure, um, you know. It, Certainly, I, I think he preferred me writing it than than, than himself. Um, but you know, he could talk. Um, but in two thousand and one, uh, so I've been on the probably Western Daily Press four or five years. So Cooch was involved. In, he was co-director of Gulliver's Chilcot, um, which was a travel company who did the Lions, British and Irish Lions trips. And I was I managed to get a sponsorship from. Uh, Gulliver's Chilcot to go to Australia um, on the 2001 Lions tour. And I was probably one of two maximum regional journalists who got to go on that tour. So I will be, if you're probably not listening, but I will be forever thankful, Cooch, for uh, for sponsoring me just for uh, um, ringing you up every week and getting some choice choice words from you. Brilliant. No, but, uh, such a character, such yeah. a character. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, he had some some great stories. And he freely admitted that he became a rugby player after getting banned from going to watch Bristol City play. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah, it answered your question, Batch. It was, um, it was a great time because it was, rugby had just turned professional. Um, at, you know, 95, it turned, the game turned professional. And um, so you're talking 96, Bath were probably on on the wane in terms of a force in rugby, um, although they did win, and what a fantastic occasion it was! They won the '98 European Cup final in Brief, um, 
you know, day I will always remember as a as a journalist. Bristol, you know, way before Steve Lansdowne and the great things he's done for the Bears, were in a real state, and all that business. Rich, you'll remember the the Memorial Stadium and you know the to and fro with Rovers and selling the ground and buying it back and when it when it um, sold for a pound or something. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, so of the three clubs, Bristol would always provide me with the most stories because you had the era of Malcolm Pierce and, you know, Nick Discussion and those kind of characters, Bob Dwyer, and they signed, you know, world-class players like they have now, but they signed them then where they didn't have the money. Um, so from a, from a reporting point of view, um, it, it was just an amazing time. Gloucester, likewise, so they were coming to terms with, you know, finding their feet in a in a, a brand new world of of professional sport. Um and I was very fortunate because my sports editor for the Western Daily Press was the uncle of Andy Robinson, a guy called Bill Beckett. Uh Rob Robbo obviously went on to coach England and coach Bristol. Um and so I had a sports editor who gave an equal weight to both rugby and football. So, you know, I wrote a thousand words a day, three stories, one on each club. Um, and he expected the similar standards to, you know, he would say to me, why have the Daily Mail got this story? And I would go, uh, and he would say, well, I want you to get that story as well. So mm-hmm. in that regard, I was blessed with another editor who demanded the, the highest standards, really. Right. Um, obviously, progressing your, your journey through um, a, a number of roles uh, up until... In 2011, you became the the senior England team communications manager. Was that something that you were striving for in those previous years with with the the, the rugby reporting? Was that your your goal at the point? I suppose I, I never had it in my mind really that I wanted to be a communications manager for a, for an elite sports team. Um, my shift to the Rugby Football Union came about really um, in 02. I think they probably got so cheesed off with me because Gloucester, Bath and Bristol had so many players in England set up. Um, you know, you were talking back then, you had a, you know, as is now a quarter of uh, quarter of the Premier, Premiership. Mm. So we had so many players that I, they probably got so cheesed off me badgering them for interviews while they were on the international duty that they said, well, actually, why don't you come and join us? So the intention then was for me to set up a um, uh, a group of regional press officers who would try and promote rugby within the grassroots of of England. Mm. Um, so I had you know I had one for the southwest, one for the Midlands, one for the north, and one for London and southeast. And and really our job was to promote tournaments, facilities that the 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 RFU had invested in. Um, so it was a really good time. You know, we used to go around the country, um, you know, talking to to local media, um, talking to rugby clubs, giving them workshops on on how to promote themselves. Um, you know, um, <laughs> it, it, it was interesting because you know you'd go to someone like Cumbria, you'd, and you get off the train in Whitehaven, and you'd pick up the Whitehaven news, and you'd have Cumbrian wrestling fell running rugby league 
and then a small bit of rugby union. Um, you go to Workington and they have a game called the Uppies and Downies, which is Uppies versus Downies, which is basically trying to get a a one kilogram leather ball from one end of the town to the other. Um, and that would dominate the back page. So, right. <laughs> yeah, there was always kind of sort of interesting, interesting places to go and go, oh, do you fancy do you fancy promoting a bit of rugby union? So, that's crazy. Um, yeah, there's so so much diversity when it comes because <laughs> obviously you've you've pretty much lived north, south, east, west of 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 the UK, looking at looking at your uh, your history, yeah. um, and come across all the different different types of sports that people are so passionate about. Yeah. But um, in, yeah, so, so that, yeah, um, I'm, I'm just trying to bridge the gap between. 02 and, and 2011. Um, yeah. I mean, you were the regional media manager into the national media manager all for the rugby football <laughs> union. Um, and then into, into that role, working with England directly, you must, and three world cups. There must be some mega personalities that you've come across there. <laughs> any, any tidbits, any stories you can share? Um, well, I've, I've certainly been fortunate to work with a lot of players and a lot of coaches. Um, part of that, original role was to be the communications manager or media manager for England and Saxons as was, which, you know, was essentially the B team. Um, so my first tour in 2003 was to um, Canada and Japan. Um, and then subsequently we had, we had a tournament called the Churchill cup, which was um, designed really to support, rugby in the US and Canada, um, but also to give our second team the exposure, international exposure. Um, so I was very fortunate to to go on seven Churchill Cups, um, you know, and, and, and to play. When I look at some of the um, um, MLS teams now and they play at Red Bull Stadium and they play at Dick Sporting Goods Park in Denver and well, Chicago Fire play. And I think, well, that's fantastic because I've been to those stadiums oh, wow. to cover, to, to you know, when we had a rugby tournaments there. So um, so I was very lucky to, to, to do that as part of that original role. And then around about 2006, the opportunity came to, to join the the you know the the elite team full time uh, and and become communications manager so as you say um 2007 rugby world cup um was my first one um when we came within a studs width of winning um which was uh you know an amazing experience so certainly having beaten been beaten 36 nil by south africa yeah, which was um, a hell of a sobering experience in the in the pool stages. Which for, for those for the I suppose for those who don't follow follow being beaten thirty six nil by South Africa is a bit like being beaten five nil away at Preston. <laughs> yeah, never never good. <laughs> Hopefully that's uh, something that won't happen this season. Um, when you talk about rugby tours, you know, rugby tours uh, are synonymous with um, drinking culture partying culture (laughs) so you know and uh, your cv talks about handling crisis issues so i don't know if that relates if those two go hand in hand um well yeah i think alcohol and 
crises, um, <laughs> as we all know, uh, certainly go hand in hand. They're not mutually exclusive, but certainly often you find you find <laughs> one uh, alongside the other, really. Yeah. What's that, what sort of crisis issues did, did you have to handle in those in those periods? Um, if I said um, pretty much the whole gambit of things, then you can guarantee that something will crop up this season to bite me. <laughs> so right. I, I'm not going to tempt any fate. <laughs> but um, I suppose 2011 um, will certainly go down in the annals of, of English rugby as, as a bit of a uh, annus horribilis in terms of, um, you know, going to New Zealand um, and then players being accused of throwing dwarfs around in a bar in Queenstown, um, being accused of sexual harassment of hotel staff, um, having um, Mike Tyndall, um, you know, the situation with Mike and and Zara Phillips um, when someone released CCTV footage of of Mike in a a bar with um, another female, um, and then to have the world's paparazzi arrive to photograph the Queen's granddaughter uh, and uh, allegedly errant new husband. Um, so those kind of issues um, topped off by one of the players jumping into Auckland Harbour and trying to swim back um, to the quayside um, didn't make for a, you know, it was a tough, it was tough on Martin Johnson as, as you know, head coach. Um, it's tough on the players and, and certainly tough on, on the staff. Um and it was bizarre because we actually won all our pool games. So we got through the pool. Um, we lost subsequently to France in the quarterfinal. But no one remembers the rugby, really. It was all the, the off-field issues that we had to deal with. Um, so I suppose from a of all the tours I've been on um, over, that, over a 20-year period, didn't... 2011 Rugby World Cup, um, but you know, having said that, I always I'm always of the view that out of these things comes strength, really. And you know, we rebuilt a side after that. Stuart Lancaster did a fantastic job rebuilding England and the culture, and certainly myself and the people I work with from a communications point of view, I would hope came through that uh, as better communications professionals, really. So how how would you say that the likes of you know, your social medias, your Facebooks and your Twitters, how how's that influenced or changed your role? Yeah, Richard, it's 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 a you know, it, um, I am um, I never thought at the age of fifty two I would be scrolling through TikTok, um, but <laughs> my my social media um, executive uh, Ryan Morgan assures me it's the it's the way to go for for Bristol city. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, um, you know, I I suppose there's two things, isn't there? There's what you can do proactively using those channels. Uh, you know, Bristol city, we have seven, eight different channels now. Um, but it's also, you know, having to be very wary, not only what you put out, but also what players put, put out, what staff put out, um, the the reaction that you get to anything really, um, 
And I'm not sure whether where the shift actually came. It just seems to be an, a gradual shift from a traditional news environment um, to something which is 24-7, really. Because in that time, you know, where you were the Senior England team communications manager between yep. 2011 and 2015 that's probably in there somewhere was the the beginnings and the boot starting to get the boom of facebook and twitter so did you adopt that straight away or was it something that you want you sort of had your own strategy in place and and didn't deviate from or did you start to tinker with that then yeah uh, i think um you're right certainly there was a, a huge shift between 11 and 15 both from a, a content point of view um you know in terms of what we have done um in 2011 um to 2015 you know in, in 11 we probably had you know a small team in new zealand um whereas in 2015 2015 not least it was at home we had we had a big a big comms team not only reacting and, and managing press conferences of, you know, 100, 120 people with 30 camera crews mm. through to actually pushing out content that we would do ourselves. And then there's always a balance. Um, you know, Nigel spoke about this as well. There's that balance between doing your own content as a comms person and, and you know, as a club or as a, a governing body or as a team, but also still you know, making yourself available to third party scrutiny and, and, you know, um, interrogation for a better, for a better word, really. Um, but from a, so from a crisis point of view, um, there was a big shift in those years. Um, and when we got to 2015, um, you know, and, and, and our own world cup, um, you know, social media was, really coming to the fore and and nothing was nothing was hidden really um and it was a likewise that was a brutal experience for for Stuart and the players and you know, to go out of your own home world cup in the pool stages yeah um with the eye you know it was it was meant to be a fantastic occasion for for english rugby and we got a tough pool in Wales and Australia, um, mm. and you know we um, we didn't deliver, and um, you know the the spotlight was in it was intense, um, and another sort of big learning learning experience really. Obviously, at the moment we are um, one one in the in the Lions, <laughs> so uh, South Africa. Um, and and the, the British and Irish Lions, and you've obviously worked very closely with with British Irish Lions in the past. So obviously Friday uh, Saturday is is the decider. I think the last one in New Zealand ended in a draw, didn't it? I think that might have been the was that the first and only time it's ended in a draw. Um, I think you're right. Yeah, and, and certainly it was we we were the only only the the second Lions team to return um, from New Zealand undefeated so it must have been 70s when john dawes took the lions and and they they won the they won the series um yeah and I, I have been trying to watch um i managed to to get back after the villa game um 
to watch what was a, a kind of a very disappointing second half um, in that second test last week. But mm. you know, it's it's um, it's a very special institution patch, which you know I've got a lot of passion for. Um, I was lucky enough to go, you know, as I said, in 01 as a journalist. And then in 2013, uh, I got a secondment from from England to go uh, spend three months with the Lions to go to Australia. Um, we won the you're se- over the world, isn't it? Yeah, we won, we won the series 2-1. Um, you know, we, we, we won in uh, Brisbane and lost in Melbourne. And then... What a what a fantastic occasion in Sydney for the final test. Um, you know, one of a very humble to to have been there um, on that particular night. Um, but it is it is a sense of of amusement to uh, my children because when we won, when the final whistle went in Sydney, everybody rushed onto the pitch, and I tripped over one of the physio's <laughs> bag. And I actually decked it, or proper nearly went over um, splat. And Sky caught this in slow mo. Oh god! And um, my my kids then um, well, they're grown up now, but uh, yeah. they think it's hilarious. Um, but yeah, it was um, twenty thirteen was outstanding. And then uh, after I left England in twenty fifteen, I got. Uh, you know, managed to get the role as head of communications for for the Lions um, for the two years, uh, including 2017, and um, certainly Fantastic. that New Zealand tour um, will remain with me as as one of the the very special times in in my career. Really, um, absolutely. Lots of stories from that, but I <laughs> I watch one for another day. <laughs> So, um, so let's talk about the the shift from rugby. Obviously, you've 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 been involved in rugby and communications at varying levels throughout, well, up until that point, really, in twenty seventeen. Yes. Yeah. Um, so the shift from rugby to football. How did that come about? Obviously, you're clearly passionate about rugby, but you had the interest in football growing up. Yep. So what was what? How did that come about? Um, well, I'd come to the end of the the, the fixed term contract with the Lions. Um, early in 2018 and I was doing some consultancy for uh, various people um, you know Guinness Pro 14 and uh, and others Um, and then I think I had met I obviously knew Tom Tainton from Bristol Bears who's who's the head of communications for Bristol Bears Um, and obviously being part of the Bristol Sport Group so I had a you know, an idea of, of the great things that were going on at Ashton Gate, uh, you know, and, and the Bristol Sport Group and, you know, the, the, the Lansdowne family's um, investment and, and support there. Um, and then I think I'd met, I'd met Adam Baker and some of the team, bizarrely, at a, a game, a, a Fulham away game. Um, Always a good event. Yeah, and... I think it was early in 2018. So I'm sure somebody will, will correct me. Um, but myself and my digital manager from British and Irish Lions were in London. Um, and we wanted we wanted to go and see a football match. Um, so we got in touch with 
counterpart at Fulham, uh, or, or Adam's counterpart at Fulham then. And uh, we were in the press area and I, I'd met Adam. So kind of knew Bristol City, Bristol Sport vaguely. Um, and then I saw that there was a vacancy um, for head of communications. Um, subsequently found out that Adam had left. Um, and then kind of three, two, three interviews, um, met um, you know, John and Mark Ashton. I had an interview with Lee as well, Lee Johnson. Uh, and then I suddenly found myself Middlesbrough on a Tuesday night. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and here I am kind of like, yeah, you know, three three years later. So you really are well trained. <laughs> um, so, how was that transition from rugby to football? Was there uh, any key differences you can pull out? Yeah, I mean, people say, um, you know what? Oh, people people said to me, you you would not, you'll hate football because it's all bling bling and the footballers are all prima donnas and they drive fashion cars and, you know, they, they won't do anything for you from a media point of view. Um, and certainly my experience is, is, is anything but that really. Um, now I've got no reference point from football because, you know, City is the first football club I, I've worked at. And, mm. but I have to say that, you know, the players who've been at the club over the last, you know, four, three, four years that I've been there, um, have been nothing short of fantastic in terms of, you know, their punctuality, their professionalism. Um, I, I suppose the difference from a, you know, international international sport, team sport, um, you know, perhaps England, you'd have eight games a year. Um, Lions, you wait four years for 10 games to come along and Bristol City, we play, what, eight games in, 10 games in four weeks. So mm. it, it's like... I can only describe it from a working point of view is like being on tour all the time. Um, yeah. You know, I would go away for 15, 16 weeks of the year when I was with, with uh, England and the Lions. Um, and it's like that, you know, apart from say the off season, we, unlucky we've, we've had one this season. Um, it's like that, uh, you know, you are there all the time, um, which is, you know, for someone the way I work and, you know, um, my lifestyle, et cetera. Um, you know, it's, uh, it, you know, it's an amazing world to be in, um, you know, to be, to be in a, an environment of, you know, elite sport people who are all, we've all got the same, same goal. Um, I suppose there's a big emphasis on content. So we have less, we have less external media scrutiny. So, you know, we've obviously got um, Bristol Live, we have BBC, we have ITV, Radio Bristol. Um, so there's not the volume of media that I've had previously. Internationally. Internationally. So, you know, if with England and Lions, you'd have, you know, 60, 70 people at, at press conferences. You know, we get two or three, four at the moment. Um, but... The emphasis for us, really, I suppose, is, is, is as well as supporting external media, is on our own, is on our own content. And you know what what we're trying to do is is bring the supporters closer to, you know, to the team. Um, you know, and, and I'm you know quite proud of what you know 
I all I just organise and I I kind of sort of you know try and pull things together. But certainly the guys within the team, Ed Lewis and Ryan Morgan, James Crawley, and George West, who looks after the women's team, and you know the, the guys who look after the foundation, um, they do a great job. So you know things like Robins Uncut um, from Fayland, you know the, the the roof which has become a a real thing. Absolutely. Um, so those kind of things, um, you know, we. Are, are a big are a big focus in terms of in terms of content really yeah i think over the years sort about your thoughts on this rich bristol city and social media and twitter have become almost market leading um in in football yeah especially with the the goal scoring gifts the goal scoring right. gifts that was the, the roof city must have been the first team to do that because i mean they spoke about it on soccer am things like that didn't they and other teams have tried to redo it but yeah we've been groundbreaking like you said yeah on the roof I think the social media side of uh, City at the minute for news updates, I think it's top class. I think it's brilliant on, on all platforms. Very, very kind of you to say so. It, it, and I certainly think the last year or so has been a, a challenge for everyone because you can see how passionate Bristol City supporters are about their team and it. I, you know, and, and I suppose that that's that was an adjustment for me, Patch and, and Rich is, you know. Um, I suppose dealing with that emotion and dealing with how much it actually means to to people, um, which is why you have to be very careful about you know what you what you say really, um, and and you know what what you put out there because you know and hopefully we'll see it on Saturday and we saw it to an extent against Villa that actually what it means to people walking around outside you know it was like. It was like people were at a wedding or hadn't seen each other for so, so long. Um, mm. And I think the last year has been hard because it's been a difficult year from a football club point of view in terms of not least our performances, but change of manager um, and, and, and things, other things that have happened. And in the same way that I may go down the pub on a you know, Saturday night and rant about a day at work... Um, you know, fans haven't had the chance to go out and meet people. So social media, pertaining to your point, Rich, earlier about social media has become a real focal point for people's kind of sort of thoughts and people's views on things. Um, and I certainly think over the last year, it's become real. It's become a tough place and a tough environment to operate in. Well, yeah. Right, right. No, bring in, bring in negative about anything. And you're rightly proud of everything you do. What do you, does it get you down when you kind of, you just put some harmless news out, but somebody would jump on that with some negative kind of having a go at Bristol City? You, or is that just um, the top of ducks back? Do you yeah, just ignore I mean, things that? Yeah, I, I try and kind of be fairly thick-skinned about it without being flippant. Um, and I think if there's a genuine... You know, there are occasions when whatever we say, if we haven't signed a striker, <laughs> then <laughs> um, then it, it doesn't, you know, that will be the automatic response. So um, I suppose, you know, when we're, we're all in it for the same reasons, um, which is to see Bristol City do well. And from my point of view, we're in it to try and, you know, connect the team and, and make the team more accessible in in a day where, you know, an age where you can't really. So, for instance, on Saturday, it's going to be difficult for the players to mix with 
the fans because of COVID restrictions and and you know the the, the fear of of you know spreading mm-hmm. virus there. So I suppose even more so now in this age of distancing. Um, you know, I think our role as, as comms people is to, um, but also to try and you know to try and communicate simply and effectively. Um, yeah. You know, it's all very well having lots of glitzy things, but if you're not actually, you know, relaying essential information, um, then I think you lose something there as well. So I think one of certain of my missions. Um, you know, for instance, on the streaming yesterday and try and get things very clear to people about what they need to know. And anything over and above that is a, is a real bonus. Yeah. Yeah. You know, with any, with anything. Um, I mean, you know, Patch, don't you? That, you know, simple communication in, in your line of work is key. Really. It doesn't matter, doesn't matter how glossy it is. I try and keep things as straightforward and simple as possible. Um, and I always describe it as so that anyone um, at any level can understand the message you're trying to get across. And I think that's uh, that's a skill in itself, breaking down complex messages into simplified messages. Mm-hmm. Um, you said you spoke about, um, you know, ranting there, Rich, whilst we've, whilst we've still got you um, and we'll, we'll come back uh, to Dave on this as well in a minute. Um one regular segment on the podcast is is Rich's rant. So Rich is a professional <laughs> ranter um, since, well, I was going to say because he's now reached the age he is, but he's pretty much been like it all his life. So um, Rich, what have you got a rant about for us today? Go on, Rich. Well, well my little rant, I would mind both your opinions on it as well, is I went to the local Asdol's, did me shopping. <laughs> and as I was going through the kind of self-service thing, I'm thinking, should we get some sort of discount for a serving ourselves i don't know what what because <laughs> obviously you pay the same no you pay the same price you go for a lady on the on the conveyor belt she yeah. bags it up for you kind of thing you're doing all the work so shouldn't it be like some sort of um motivational thing yeah but then what, what happens when everyone does it and she no longer has any anything to scan well yeah that's well that's the other side do you should these things even exist because you're obviously again it's like the robots overtaking the human isn't it kind of well, do you know what I got? Do you know what happened the other day? I went to B and Q and I got keys cut in a machine by literally just putting a key in. It scanned it, and I got three keys for nine quid. And I wow. thought, like, and then I thought I was feeling guilty about the guy yeah. at Tim's, yeah. about the guy at Timson's because putting him out of business. Yeah, I know. So I don't know. Where, where does it stop? Where's Where's the fine line? Is it Where's the, Where's the convenience overtake the? Mm. well there's a lot of robotics and automation going on in all sorts of industries rich um and it's something that's predicted in sci-fi films of 50 years ago (laughs) but they've basically said that the roles of 20 years time we don't even know what they are yet so by what i I do find funny is these self-serving things that they obviously serve you they still got somebody overlooking them aren't they Oh yeah, still need someone to manage it. So if it's alcohol, they need to let you know, swipe it and let you in and things like that. But um, yeah, and often you know it goes wrong anyway. So I think we're, it's still not still not a, a perfect technology. But um, I don't think there's any chance that you're going to get any discount, Rich. I'm afraid. Swiss. Yeah. And actually, the other sorry, Rich. While we're on this, um, how long have we got? So I'm <laughs> buying my Thatchers last night, um, and it's at Morrison's at Chris Causeway. And every time I go in and I do the self-service like I do, obviously it, it says someone needs to authorize me being able to buy the alcohol. 
should they not have some kind of camera to look at me and just say like actually it's obvious he's an old he's like he's like 30 odd years old enough to have alcohol rather than some woman coming along look at me and going yeah you're old enough that's a good point. Yeah, there's Face ID, obviously, on iPhone. Yeah. Surely there could be Face ID for aging. But what's to stop a, 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 a teenager getting a, oh, a false beard? Yeah, false false mask or something. Yeah, there's ways around it, I'm sure. But, yeah, I get your point. <laughs> um, Rich, Rich, uh, obviously another segment we, we do is uh, the Room of Doom. Um, so for, for listeners who, who haven't had this before, it's basically like room 101. We all put something in that, that irks us, annoys us. I'm really interested to find out, Dave, from you, first of all, is, is there something that you would like to put forward? What, for the room of doom? For the room of doom. Um, yes. People being late and me being late. Oh. So I uh, now when it's from spending... 25 years being told uh, in a team environment that things start at this particular time and breakfast and meetings and training. Um, I don't know, but I cannot abide either me being late or others being late. So look, I'm not, I don't necessarily work off Vince Lombardi time. So I don't have a clock, which like the green Bay Packers, which is set 15 minutes um, fast. Um, but yeah, so um, lack of punctuality is a big bugbear for me. I think that's a, a great shout. Um, I, I absolutely despise being late for anything. Um, and often I'm trying to get two children under six and my wife into the car yep. to be there at a specific time. And uh, yeah, it's a real bugbear of mine. So good entry. We're even, gonna... even when I try to be late, like, no, don't, don't be the first in the pub. I would write, no, even when I try to be late, I'm always on time. <laughs> I don't know, I How often that. do you get to an airport before a flight? Oh, you're talking. Yeah, you're talking two hours, aren't you? But even then, I get there about two and a half hours. Like I, I underestimate the traffic. I kind of think it's always gonna be packed. Yeah. Whereas I just, I just suffer the traffic. Whereas my wife leaves the house at the time we're supposed to be somewhere, so she's complete opposite. <laughs> and I'll, I'll be sat in the car, and she going, she disappears into the house somewhere. So I, she just suddenly goes. Yeah. What she's, it's like she's sat on the stairs just to wind me up. I think she, I think she probably is. I think she probably is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so the way this works, the way this works, Dave, is we all put something forward and then we vote. So, Rich, what are you going to put forward? Vegan runners. <laughs> God, I, I, I saw this bloke running with yeah, you know, a t-shirt on saying vegan runners. I, I don't know why they have to advertise their fact. Well, I don't. Nothing. It's vegans. I'm. I'm trying to live a. Like, Forest Green on Tuesday. Well, I, I try and live a plant-based diet if I can I no, try to eat well but I don't need to advertise it like to, so if I, if I had meat I couldn't go out running with that bloke so are they is it is it a running club that it must be a club of? yeah okay so exclusively if I say meat eaters only that I don't know this kind of these clubs based on like a minority kind of thing I don't know okay well uh, do you see so you wouldn't join the pie eaters running club then <laughs> yeah well I'd be that'd probably be my level <laughs> that probably be the pace i'm working at but oh dear um so mine mine's again related to my children um and it's slime oh that's that's last that's last year's craze patch no uh, so they get slime on the front of magazines they get anything they go into a a, a shop in torquay that we were last week and they come out with a pot of slime 
I don't mind it when I'm in a hotel room because you can get it stuck to their walls or their their yeah. furnishings. But I've got slime on my sofa, slime on my floor, and it just it's so hard. To, I've got slime on my shorts actually now as oh, well. That ain't, that ain't slime, is it? No, it is definitely slime rich. Um, so yeah, I, I think slime should be banned. Personally, have they have they had you making it yet from scratch? You, we did try YouTube, that. Actually. YouTube videos. Yeah, Dean Dean Edwards uh, did a, a YouTube <laughs> video with his daughter. Nope, um, never works, is it? So yeah, but uh, I think slime should be banned. It just gets everywhere. Right. So um, quick, quick vote then, Rich. Who are you going to go for? Well, punctuality. That's a that's a yeah. It's a good show. That's one it? thing I can't stand. There's no need to be late, is there? Yeah, 100%. I think my, my vote goes there as well. And for So, Dave, you've won, but for... I don't, for the, I don't even have to vote, do I? For the purposes <laughs> of uh, of this, you have to pick one between me and Rich. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I don't know. Perhaps I, I don't know. I'm just trying to think if I know any vegan runners. <laughs> I've, I've gone through the slime phase, so I actually hated it as well. So it's we the go. slime. I think, I, the think slime. I, get, I get the vote for that. Play, Brilliant. Played safe, played safe there, Dave. Lovely yeah. stuff. Um, well... Rich, I think you've got you've got to make a move, but just quickly give us your recommendation for this week. Recommendation: you can find it on Amazon Prime and I think on all four. Travel Man with Richard Adewadi is that his name? Iowadi. Oh yeah. So it's a uh, forty-eight hours in different city breaks with the likes of Steve Merchant, Rob Beckett, Paul Rudd, a host of comedians. There's about about twenty episodes. Johnny Vegas. Yeah, I think he did one so, with yeah. Steve Merchant as well. It's, it's an informative weekend, it just like them on the Vraz. Yeah. We actually obviously go to museums and tourist spots and give you the Johnny Vegas. I went to school with Johnny Vegas. Did you? Well, there's a yeah, story. Was, That's a great claim to fame. Yeah, he was in the two years below me. It's it's um because he wanted to be a priest as well. Was he a funny was he funny back then? I was pain in the ass. <laughs> but he was a, he was funny. He was funny. Yeah. And I'm he kind sure. of yeah, you know. Um, quick recommendation from, from me is also Amazon Prime. I've started watching uh, When Eagles Dare, and uh, this is about Crystal Palace um, and the, the journey that they've been on pretty much since they lost in the playoffs to us back when we, um, you know, when we faced Hull. Um, so there's a, you know, Ian Holloway, there's a whole, whole episode on Ian Holloway. Uh, so that's what I'm up to at the moment. But just get your view on that, Dave. If Netflix come knocking on the door of Bristol City, we you be welcoming them with open arms? I don't know. It, it, <laughs> these these things, and I watch them, and having done one with... It was different with the British and Irish Alliance because it was, you know... I suppose you do have veto on it, um, but they were very much part of the management, you know, they were part of, my, of the team. Um, I think they're very hard, unless you have a coaching team um and the organization completely buys into it you're in a world of pain in terms of because you know where do you you just spend your life trading on eggshells and and trying to get permissions to do this and that it's um it, it's as a very difficult to pull off well with the spurs well, one the, the spurs one on on amazon prime they were in you know in the meeting with uh, Danny Rose and, and Jose Mourinho, when yeah. they're having right goes at each other, I'm surprised that sort of thing makes it through. But it's that's the sort of stuff you want to see. Well, if you <laughs> if, if they pay enough money, that's that's the thing. You know, they pay they pay enough money, then you kind of um, Piper calls a tune, as it were. You know, is there is there been one yet where they've followed a team that's actually won anything? Because Sunderland got relegated <laughs> when they did it. Leeds felt <laughs> the year they were on it. Yeah, so I don't think anyone's actually. Well, Man City probably must have. 
No, I'm pretty sure that was the season Liverpool won it, wasn't it? That uh, was it. Maybe, yeah, maybe right. But uh, I'm sure they won. I'm sure they won. We don't want our trophy. We don't want to be jinxed. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, Rich, I'm going to let you go. Yeah, um, I need to shut off, gonna, chaps. Just going to finish Rich, off good to chat. Dave, now. Yeah, great to meet you, Dave. Take care. All the, Cheers. Good bye luck. Bye. All the best of the weekend. Thank you. Cheers, chaps. Thanks, mate. Um, so, Dave, it's been a, a, a great tour through through your career. 30 years in communication, you know, uh, start, starting off, um, you know, in the in the newspaper industry and, and now up through England, the British Lions and the Irish Lions and uh, up into now the promised land of Bristol City. Um, <laughs> what a journey you've been on. Is, is it's, You must really enjoy it. It must be you get a real buzz from it. Yeah, I do. And, um, you know, uh, actually I had a pension meeting this morning. Um, oh yeah, I know. <laughs> it's quite scary. Um, um, so yeah, my kind of, my long fantastic wife, um, who's, you know, put up with a lot of time for me being away and, mm. uh, a lot of weekends, um, you know, without me as it were um perhaps why it's lasted 27 years i don't know but uh um says what else would you do um you know the the you know feel very privileged and and, and honored to 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 have done what i've done and and to you know work with some some really amazing amazing people um both players and, and, and coaches, um, you know, people like Mike Johnson and, and you know Johnny Wilkinson, and people, people, those to to actually work alongside and to to live with those guys and to see how brilliant they are, both in, both as you know players and, and people, and you know, and the, the current crop, you know, and I watch the the city players train, and you've been up to the high performance centre very recently. To watch those guys execute and, and the dedication and professionalism um, is is massively inspiring. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not sure, you know, what else potentially I, I, you know I would I would look to do. Um, but yeah, certainly. What do, you, what, what do you enjoy most about the role, Dave? Is it the the dealing with different personalities? You know, for for me in my line of work, there's a, there was sort of an option to go in a small team and and work on a project, but but I chose to do something completely different and go across a piece so that I could deal with different personalities on a daily basis. And you know, you you must have that. Yeah, and it, it's so wide ranging the role, um, which is you know. Which is why I, you know, I don't like the role the the term media. Um, I like the term communications because, you know, it 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 stems, you know, it ranges from the public facing stuff, you know, which, you know, we, we which we put out um, through to the internal communications to making sure that, um, you know, the the messages are right to, you know supporting people within the organization uh, in terms of you know how they frame things and and how they communicate internally so i think you're right i think that it's that wide ranging where you wake up every morning and um and you think right i've got a plan for today but it's not going to be set because mm -hmm. actually um in our line of work things come in and you deal with those things um and i suppose what you know 
what makes it worthwhile is just as with all roles is knowing that you've done the best you can um you know within any particular any particular situation yeah fantastic well as i said um you know this is a slight crossover with the bonus show in that it's some bristol city content on the end there but uh let's hope for a, a fantastic season and we're loving all of the uh the, the insight that we're getting the behind the scenes the the, the different staff that we've now um, sort of had contact with and it makes us as fans feel part of something so uh, so thanks for for all your great work and what a career you've had to date with with more to come well hopefully you'll uh, this you know you know bristol city and, and that ambition and that passion to to reach the premier league um i certainly think that would be you know um way way up there in terms of those moments so um you're very excited about you know what what the future holds for for the club really brilliant thanks for your time dave and thanks to everyone for listening pleasure, um, we'll, pleasure. we'll be back again soon take care thank you Gentlemen